fresh to me. My husband died suddenly on March the 7th of this year. We chose cremation because he didn't like the idea of being laid out. He didn't like the spectacle of that. Her children are spread across many different states, and one particular burial spot is hard for people to come and remember her. We chose cremation because it just fit with her her no-nonsense personality and uh, her practical choice of organ donation. We held the ashes of my father who passed away first until my mother died. Then we combined their ashes and distributed them to the wind together. Over the last eight years, friends, family members, and fellow writers have taken little bits of my mother's ashes and taken her all over the world. After having them cremated, I had them placed in biodegradable urns and interred right next to each other with the thought that eventually the urns would break down and they both would absorb into the earth and commingle their ashes in that way. Grateful for those messages. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues, many of us are reflecting on the experience of being surrounded by death for the last two years. It's brought up questions about how and when we die, and also what happens to our bodies after we do. 56% of Americans who died in 2020 were cremated, according to the Cremation Association of North America. That's more than twice the rate from two decades ago. After the break, we'll take a closer look at cremation and what its popularity says about our evolving views on death. I'm David Gura, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember, to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a voicemail. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. In a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is committed to helping you in times of stress with customized online therapy. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com 1A and see if it helps life feel a little bit easier. We're talking about cremation and its rise in popularity. Joining us now is Tanya Marsh. She's a law professor specializing in funeral and cemetery law at Wake Forest University. Tanya, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Michael Holland is also with us. He's a licensed funeral director at Hires Baxley Funeral Services in Central Florida. Michael, good to have you with us as well. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you. And David Charles Sloan is a professor at the University of Southern California who specializes in mourning, commemoration, and public space. He's the author of the book, Is the Cemetery Dead? David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tanya, let me start with you, and I want to ask you about the history of cremation. I won't make you go back to ancient Greece and, and ancient Rome. Maybe we can just stick to the, to the 19th century. But when did it first become sort of a viable death care option uh, in the United States? Well, cremation really started in the United States in the 1870s and the 1880s. Um, it was originally illegal. So there was a, a process where not only um, you had to convince Um, First of all, people to install the first crematories and then convince uh, some members of the public to embrace it. But you had to actually change the law. Tanya, there were these cremation societies. Explain sort of how that led to the spread or wider acceptance of of cremation then in the 19th century. Well, it was a pretty slow process, honestly. So, um, yeah, there were some cremation societies that were scattered focused mostly in New York, Philadelphia, but there were a couple in in various places around the country. Um, Cremation for the, you know, the latter part of the 1800s was really sort of an oddity or a curiosity, even though people were starting um, these, again, these societies to sort of embrace it. But it took 
90 years in the United States, basically until the 1970s, um, for us to even hit the 5% cremation rate. So it was a very slow increase in acceptance of cremation, followed by what we've been experiencing, which is a very rapid increase. David Charles Sloan, you grew up uh, in this world quite literally. Your dad was a cemetery superintendent. Uh, you, you grew up on the grounds of the Oakwood Cemetery in Syracuse, a beautiful rural cemetery there in the, in the Salt City. Um, I wonder when, when your father started offering cremation, sort of what you observed about the, the growing acceptance of, of cremation uh, in the funeral industry. The cremation crematory at, at Morningside, which is part of Oakwood, had been there for a very long time. Uh, and this was not unusual, as Tanya suggests, uh, during the early part of the 20th century, uh, cemeteries began to slowly adopt crematories as a, one part of their disposition. So it was just part of life. Uh, probably the funny way to explain it is one morning I was uh, with my girlfriend at the dining room table. She later became my wife. And my brother walked in and said, uh, is Mr. Charles here? And I said, yeah, he's at the end of the table. And uh, she looked at me like, what does that mean? And I said, there's a cremation urn at the end of the table. And so it was part of the, it just was one more choice. And it was used relatively rarely, um, and but in growing numbers all the way through when I was a kid. Michael Holland, I want to ask you what you've observed in, in your work. You've been a funeral director, licensed funeral director for, for more than a quarter century. Um, how have you seen the, the popularity of, of cremation grow uh, in the time that you've been working? In my 34 years as a licensed funeral director here in the state of Florida, I've actually seen a, a change of at one time we were 80 percent burial, full body burial. Um, and we've exact I've seen it actually exactly change over this time period. Um, to be 80% cremation in certain areas of the state of Florida. Um, and I think it's due to the transient uh, part of central Florida, where we've got folks coming in from not only all over the United States, but from all over the world. Um, I think when you saw Disney grow and the central Florida area grow, it changed the, um, the format of the way we do funeral services here in Florida. It's also giving families an uh, opportunity to celebrate the life of their loved one uh, in a different manner. At Hires Baxley, where I am, um, we have uh, a location in the Villages where I'm at quite frequently. And the Villages is probably one of the largest uh, retirement centers in the whole United States. So we've got a large amount of folks coming in from all over the world uh, that are living there. Um, and cremation has become uh, quite a way to celebrate the life because even if you're far away, you're able to celebrate uh, with the family and friends that are in the area. Michael, you've, you've seen these changes and I wonder if the, the conversations have changed as well. Uh, do, do you find that people are more willing to talk about this? And what are the questions that folks have when, when you talk to them about cremation? People are becoming more and more acceptable to cremation, even those families that have chosen for decades uh, here in Florida and in the South that, that uh, burial was the way to go. Um, we're having more people ask questions. Sometimes when uh, you hear cremation, you think of just the quick disposition of a body uh, where the funeral home picks up the, the remains of a loved one. Uh, we take it immediately to the crematory, do the legal paperwork, provide the cremation service, and then send it back to the family. 
Today, there's so many more options with being able to view the body, being able to celebrate like you would in a regular funeral service with a full body burial. Um, we're able to get families to start asking more questions. Uh, we provide what we call share life, mm. where we're able to really celebrate a life of that person and not have cookie cutter funerals the way we used to. David, quickly here, you heard from Michael Holland, sort of what he's seeing in, in Central Florida, and I mentioned that uh, Americans choosing cremation, that number has more than doubled in the last two decades. Just very quickly here, what, what are some other factors that have led to that surge in popularity? So there's a whole bunch of things. Most people talk about cost, and that's the primary one. But what I respond to them is uh, cremation was cheaper 50 years ago or 100 years ago at, uh, than it, just like today, and yet we weren't choosing it. And so I think it's, uh, Tanya touched on part of it because it's partially about religion. It's partially about personalization, as you heard in the, in the snippets at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's partially about control because the family has greater control with a crema cremated remains than a full body remains. And so, and I also think there's a really important thing, and this came out in those snippets as well, and this idea of personalization that we want things not to be, as Michael said, cookie cutters. We want them to be something that speaks to us. Well, cremation rates have surged nationwide, but that doesn't mean it's surged equally among different demographics. What do we know about who typically chooses to get cremated? We got this message from one of you in Phoenix City, Alabama. Although I'm very much still alive, I do plan on having my body cremated when I pass. I was born in the Hindu tradition, and many of my family members who have passed go through this rite of passage with our ashes taken to India, and I plan the same to happen to me. So when I hear about the surpassing number of people who want to be cremated versus buried, I'm honestly glad to see that there's some cross-cultural connection there, even if it's not for the same cultural reasons that I would have my body cremated. Thanks for that message as well. And Tanya Marsh, let me turn to you. When it comes to religion, attitudes vary across faiths. Um, I wonder what you could tell us just about how religion has intersected with cremation over the last century and a half. Sure. Well, the American legal system, you know, is rooted in the English legal system. Um, and funeral and cemetery law in the English legal system before the time of the Re revolution was ecclesiastical law. That is, it was church-made law. So, the Christian views on, and the, the Anglican Christian views um, on funerals and disposition um, that existed in the 1700s were really the basis of the social norms that shaped our system in the United States. So even though we don't have an explicitly Christian view in the law, that social norm is definitely reflected back. And in that period of time, it was seen as very important um, not so much as a matter of church doctrine, but people's views on, on faith, um, that bodily, bodily integrity was essential to resurrection. So cremation was seen as something that could actually jeopardize your uh, chances of resurrection. You need to be buried in the consecrated ground of a churchyard. So we've come a long way from that, and most Christian denominations um, have sort of relaxed their view on the requirement of bodily integrity. Um, but then, of course, we have a lot of other religious mm -hmm. uh, traditions at play in the United States, and some of them have been cremating um, as the primary or sole means of disposition for a very long time. So we have quite a variety of views. Let's get to another voicemail here. Here's Deborah in Greensboro, North Carolina, just down the road from Tanya. 
I'm against cremation because of the damage that it does to the earth. And when you spread ashes out onto the ground and parks and different places, uh, it kills vegetation. I'd like for people to be educated on the dangers of cremation. I am an advocate for all natural burial where our bodies go into the earth unembalmed and create new, beautiful soil for our future generations to enjoy. David Charles Sloan, I want to ask you uh, what we know about the environmental impact of, of cremation. Help us understand that. So there are two major environmental concerns. The first is that most crematories, fire crematories, not echoline hydrolysis uh, or biocremation, uh, most fire cremation is uh, run by natural gas. And so there's concerns about the uh, consumption of fossil fuels. Second, there is a concern about the emission of mercury uh, from the body, particularly the teeth, um, during the cremation itself into the air. Uh, both of these are real. Uh, they've been documented. Uh, the new generation of uh, crematories have better scrubbers and they have less, but it's still a concern about the use of the fossil fuel, which is why alkaline hydrolysis, uh, uh, alternative cremate, cremation uh, form has increased in um, in uh, popularity uh, slowly, again, very slowly, as Tanya pointed out about the original cremation, and why the, there's a very considerable number of people who are now considering um, uh, natural burial in new natural burial sections in cemeteries or in new natural burial cemeteries themselves. Michael, let me turn to you and ask you about cost and how much that's a consideration here. We got an email from Michael uh, who writes, I want to be cremated because I believe the funeral industry has for too long profited off of grief. Most people don't have that much in savings or readily available income. It's a travesty that death can cost so much to families at a time of great sorrow. Certainly heard from Christopher, who called in as well. Uh, the cost uh, is a consideration in terms of what he's deciding to do uh, after after he dies. Um, help us understand just how much the the the... the Costs are a consideration here for folks as they weigh what happens after they die. David, we found that um, some families do take a look at cost, but we also have those other families that other things go into play. And, and we do provide um, different areas, and you'll hear a little bit later in the show, um, uh, some ideas and different groups that we have that can help with a lower-priced cremation. Um, most of the families I deal with are dealing with it more on the issue of just, just the ease and, and to be able to celebrate that life in a different way. Um, I will tell you when cremation started its popularity here in the Central Florida area, uh, some of it was price-driven. And um, but we have now found to where with the different options that we're able to offer as funeral homes and funeral directors, that people aren't really looking at the price as much mm. as they once were. Um, if price is a driven factor, we do have those different organizations um, like Tulip and things like that, different groups that we can send folks to. Michael, I'm looking at, at some stats here from the National Funeral Directors Association. The average price of a funeral with a burial and viewing is just under $8,000. The average cost of cremation by itself is $2,500. I wonder if that's uh, in line with what you see. And, and also, if, if cremation is the, the less expensive option, how is its popularity affecting uh, the bottom line at, at your funeral home? 
Um, we are seeing some of those same numbers, but I will tell you that um, in the villages that hires Baxley, uh, where I do a lot of our work, um, is uh, we are seeing a funeral uh, cremation uh, with a viewing uh, go for about the same price as a regular funeral. It just depends on the need and meeting the families where they are at the time. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it's giving the family the options and meeting them where they are and letting them make the decisions. It, it's us presenting every option every time for our families uh, just to make sure that one of the worst things as a licensed funeral director that could happen to me is for a family to come back to me and say, you know, I wish you would have told me I could have done it that way. Hmm. Um, that way, if that happens, I've missed the mark and I've missed, uh, I've messed that family's ideas up with how they should have celebrated their loved one's life. David Charleston, we've talked about the factors that have, have led to this phenomenon. And I want to sort of step back and ask you more broadly, what the uptick in cremation says to you, says to all of us uh, about how we think about or view death today in the U.S.? So uh, it's a really good question because I think uh, we often focus on the differences in price. But as Michael says, the funeral directors and the cemeteries and other parts of the death industry have found ways to uh, to raise the price of cremation uh, and in some in many cases very appropriately for the families. I think cremation really represents this idea that families can control a moment that is chaotic. Um, that there is that you know death is remains uh, a horrible uh, de development in one's family. Uh, it's hard to lose a grandmother. It's hard to lose a mother. It's hard to lose a sister. Um, and so it is that moment where you're trying to figure things out. And cremation allows the family to take a little bit more control, as we heard so beautifully in the early. Uh, snippets that you played about the people wanting to send parts of their mother all across the country, all across the world, or other things. The second thing that I think is really important is the personalization that comes with that. Now, that's happening with body funerals, as full body funerals as well. But I think with cremation, it's much easier to hold the cremains for six months and then have the memorial service, to have the memorial service outside, and then the third thing is uh, the growing interest in scattering versus any kind of interment raises issue of how do we remember? Uh, what ways do we want to remember the people that, that have passed away? And are we going to have living memorials rather than uh, monuments? That's David Charles Sloan. He's a professor at the University of Southern California who specializes in mourning, commemoration, and public space. He's the author of the book, Is the Cemetery Dead? Michael Holland joined us as well. He's a licensed funeral director at Hires Baxley Funeral Services in Central Florida. Michael and David, thank you both very much for your time. I want to add another voice to the conversation. Joining us now is Laura Sussman. She's the co-founder and president of Kraft Sussman Funeral and Cremation Services in Las Vegas. Laura, welcome to 1A. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you've been a funeral director for 15 years, I gather. Before that, you were in an unrelated nonprofit. And I wonder sort of what, what made you make that career change, make you get into to this line of work? Yeah, well, I had um, been a volunteer for um, the Hever Kaddisha, the Jewish Burial Society mm. in our community, and um, went into a number of funeral homes and was not real comfortable with the things I saw at the way that uh, some of the families were treated. 
Um, my partner, Wendy Kraft, uh, worked for another funeral home. And um, we thought about, uh, you know, our parents and our family and how we wanted them treated. And uh, we, we took a leap. We decided to uh, see if we could open our own place that would be a little bit different, family-oriented. And um, that was 15 years ago, and it's been a wonderful journey. You, you mentioned your faith and the work that you've done, the voluntary work that you've done before this. And uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, what religion says about cremation before um, how has your faith sort of shaped your view about death care more broadly? Yes, in terms of the work that you're doing, but um, just sort of uh, in terms of death care and, and, and options like cremation. Well, in Judaism, um, death care was traditionally burial and a very natural burial. The first green burials, because there's no embalming. The body is kept as natural as possible. And as we found in Las Vegas, uh, sort of a phenomenon where even within the Jewish community, uh, we're seeing about 40% of our Jews being cremated. So um, that, that's been a tremendous shift from uh, you know, earlier in the uh, years. And I actually, in the most places in the country, a lot of my colleagues are you know, in the 4 or 5% range. Uh, we're also seeing you know, with, uh, in the uh, Catholic religion, more cremations. I actually did a, a, a pre-need plan for a priest uh, just recently that wanted to be cremated, which a number of years ago would have been unheard of. But going along with that, uh, we also are the only funeral home in the state um, that offers alkaline hydrolysis cremation, which is the most natural uh, way of uh, a body disposition that you can have. Can you explain what it is exactly? It's, it's a new phenomenon. We were talking about the sort of environmental considerations a, a few moments ago, but explain what it is just in, in basic terms, if you would. Yeah, alkaline hydrolysis cremation, or some people call it aquamation, is a, a process that uses water and alkaline to break down all of the soft tissue of the body that, and leave behind the bones that are then processed just like with flame cremation into a powder or cremated remains. Um, some of the, the benefits of aquamation or alkaline hydrolysis cremation is that there are no emissions into the air. So earlier, you know, somebody spoke about uh, mercury going into the air and the scrubbing, you know, essential of the uh, smokestacks. But with aquamation, uh, alkaline hydrolysis cremation, anything that goes into the unit um, is uh, neutralized and sterilized and um, any of the wastewater that goes out is safe for the uh, sewer system and to be recycled. And any of the non-body parts, uh, whether they be pacemakers or mercury and teeth or um, any kind of stents or anything, are basically recycled after the process. So it's a, a very clean process and um, it does take longer. It takes about two to three times as long for the process to take place to um, get the body into a cremated state. But um, the benefits are tremendous. I wonder, uh, sort of when, when, when a family is having these sort of intimate and I imagine difficult conversations with you, is, is it customary that they would bring up this alternative or it's something that you would make them aware of, the sort of difference between traditional cremation and aquamation? If somebody is interested in cremation, uh, most families have no idea that this is an option. Um, you know, it's, it's actually only taking place currently in about 15 states. 
Um, there's 24 states that have it legal, but it's a slow process. When we started, we were the 13th unit operating in the country, and that was about three years ago. So even in our community where we've tried to get the word out, people don't know about it unless it's word of mouth. And uh, so we always offer it as an alternative uh, to flame cremation. Uh, we do it at the same price. So people have, you know, they can make the choice based on, you know, their feelings and not a financial choice. And uh, we find that about 80% of our families are choosing this over flame cremation. We'll be back with more of our conversation about cremation in just a moment. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Let's get back to the conversation with this message from Paula in Chicago. I was always a proponent of cremation because of the expense and the pomp and circumstance of a coffin burial. I think I have changed my mind about cremation. My adult son died in 2013 and was cremated. The hard part was watching them take his body away and a few weeks later, seeing a cardboard box inside which was a plastic bag, inside which was my son. I do have his ashes with me, but I have yearned for a physical place to go and sit and talk with him. For myself, I'm 77 years old and I'm planning for end of life. I have visited a natural burial site and wound up feeling very close to that form of burial. My body itself will not be in a coffin and will be in a covering, a shroud. And so all my parts will be back in touch with the earth, which is a very pleasant thought. I appreciate that we have a choice regarding our final resting place. Paula, thank you very much for that. And uh, Tanya Marsh, let me turn to you just with another question about the law surrounding all of this. You said at the top of the show that this varies so widely by state. And, and I wonder if you could just sort of walk us through the the various legal considerations that are at play here when you're talking about traditional cremation uh, or when you're talking about aquamation uh, as well. How how much has the law changed? How much is it keeping up with, with the uptick in popularity we've seen? Sure. So there's a couple things uh, to keep in mind. The first is um, that most states have a statute that specifically limits the legal methods of disposition in that state. And so once cremation was legalized in every state, um, which was you know, early 20th century, um, then uh, the legally permissible methods of disposition were cremation, in-ground burial, entombment, uh, donation to science, and removal from the state. So uh, when you get your death certificate, you get um, a, a, another permit that's typically called a burial and transit permit. It indicates which of those legally permissible methods of disposition um, were chosen. And so if we want to add additional options like alkaline hydrolysis, natural organic reduction, et cetera, then the laws need to be changed. And, uh, you know, one thing um, that I think makes that problematic is besides those who are in the funeral industry, there aren't a lot of um, powerful and natural lobbying groups that are working to expand the law. So there may be growing consumer preference um, that are that are looking into some of those newer options, but it's sort of uh, a hard thing to do to change the law. Um, then the other thing to keep in mind is that every state has its own regulatory structure for both the funeral industry and the cemetery industry, which are in, in most states completely separate um, industries. So um, a lot of variety in regulations there. As we talk about where all of this is, is heading, I want to bring in Michael Doyle now. He's the general manager at Tulip Cremation. That's a direct-to-consumer cremation service that's been around since 2018. Michael, uh, good to have you with us. 
Well, thank you for having me, David. Walk us through, if you would, how Tulip's process uh, works. Uh, one of our other guests brought up the, the company uh, a little earlier in the conversation. How does a sort of direct-to-consumer model work when it comes to cremation? Oh, ab- absolutely. Great question. I mean, Tulip was founded on you know, principles of simplicity, convenience, and transparency. And you know, we, we think our process you know, embodies that from, from beginning to end. Uh, it, it's really quite simple for anyone in any of the uh, eight states that we currently operate in, um, with a ninth uh, just receiving approval this week. Um, just go to our website, tulipcremation.com, to get a free quote. From there, you can make your selections and pay online. Uh, you can do that either by yourself or with the support of one of our care advisors over the phone or via chat. We after, you've, uh, after the arrangements have been completed, you know, we send the individual a link to complete a questionnaire that has all of the various vital statistics that we might need to complete the death registration with the state. From there, we handle everything um, through the entire cremation process. Um, and you, each, uh, each uh, customer of ours is assigned a specific family care specialist that provides updates via email, um, phone calls, et cetera, through the whole process. And then finally, after we complete the cremation, uh, we return to you in you know one of the three options that we have in most of our uh, most of our regions that we work, which would be we'll mail them right back to you. Um, in some places, you have the opportunity to come pick them up yourself, um, or we also offer scatter at sea um, in a number of the states that we operate in. I want to read an email here from Trish that we just got. She writes, I would like to be cremated. I'm a professional artist who works in clay. I would like for another artist in clay to take my ashes and turn them into glaze. Uh, Bob emailing, I've been a registered nurse for 32 years, specializing in hospice, oncology, and palliative care in a home setting. One of the reasons I saw people choosing cremation versus traditional burial was not only the cost, but also the convenience and the ability to schedule memorial services at a later time so that people from across the country or world could attend. Laura Sussman, let me ask you about what, what the substance of Bob's email there. And, and um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this has been such a difficult couple of years, um, in, in part because people have not been able to honor or celebrate lives the way that they did before this pandemic took place. I wonder if you could speak to that and, and how that has driven interest in or demand for cremation, uh, just the inability of family and friends to, to gather as they've, they've done for so long. Yeah, it definitely has been a factor. Um, during this process, um, we had so many people that couldn't travel to be together for a service. You know, we would offer Zoom services, but it's not the same as being together and having a physical presence. So a lot of our families opted for doing a cremation and then having a gathering where they could all be together at a later time. And it, uh, it seemed to increase, you know, the number of cremations but also seemed to give families that comfort that they knew they would have that time together in the future. Um, You know, it wasn't just the families that were here that couldn't get together, maybe because somebody passed away from COVID and everybody else was exposed and they couldn't be together just because they were isolated, but also family members that couldn't travel, whether within the country or out of the country. So it really posed a, a problem for people that that wanted to do something meaningful as a group, uh, but weren't able to. Tanya Marsh, I'd love to close just by asking you to reflect on sort of what you've seen uh, over the course of your academic career thus far, focusing on these issues and sort of what you are watching for or observing going forward here. Um, when, when you look at 
this industry, this, this part of American culture changing? What, what are you paying particular attention to? What do you think you'll be paying particular attention to in the, in the years to come? Um, I think we're in the middle of a seismic shift in social norms related to um, funerals and disposition in the United States. I think this is the most rapid period of change that we've had in the history of this country. Um, and it is really shaking the foundation of the funeral industry, which is the entire regulatory structure is based around the idea that we're going to embalm a body, have an open casket viewing, and perpetual burial in a dedicated cemetery. Um, that entire worldview is being upended. And there's still lots of people who want to do that, um, but growing numbers of people, significant numbers of people do not want that. And so the question is going to be, we have this immovable object, which is, I think, the regulatory structure for the funeral industry versus this irresistible force of changing social norms and consumer preferences. And something's got to give. So I'm, <laughs> I'm watching to see what's going to happen um, when you, you know, as a result of that, of that tension. Laura Sussman, do you see that tension as well? Do you, do you see change happening as a result? Definitely. <clears throat> more and more people are really trying to do things that are meaningful to them, not necessarily what was meaningful to their parents or grandparents. And um, there's so many factors, whether it's, you know, wellness mentally, emotionally, environmentally. Uh, they're taking all those things into consideration and doing things that... Mm. Um, are going to be, as I said, meaningful to them. That's Laura Sussman. She's the co-founder of Kraft Sussman Funeral and Cremation Services in Las Vegas. Tanya Marsh joined us as well. She's a law professor specializing in funeral and cemetery law at Wake Forest University. Michael Doyle, general manager at Tulip Cremation, a direct consumer cremation service. Thanks to all of you for your time. Today's producer was Catherine Fink. The program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm David Gura, in for Jen White. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A.